Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If you don't win your first bet, that's right, up to $1,500. Again, sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and Game Sense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus in President Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. That's 1-800-GAMBLER. Bean Dad. The Dress, 30 to 50 feral hogs. If you knew what any of those were, you spend too much time online. And hey, I do too. 16th Minute of Fame is a new weekly podcast hosted by me, Jamie Loftus. And every week we take a closer look at an internet character of the day. Who are they? What made them so notorious? How did the internet or the algorithm choose them? And what does a person do when they're suddenly confronted with more attention than the human psyche can handle? Listen to 16th Minute of Fame on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hello, acclaimed comics writer and notorious Scott Summers hater, Rosie Knight. Well, hello, Emmy-winning podcaster and totally unbiased Targaryen royal supporter, Jason Concepcion. Somehow the X-Ray Vision podcast has returned. And like always, we'll be here every week. You'll hear from TV writers, actors, comics creators, pop culture critics. Nothing is off the table. Listen to X-Ray Vision on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Media. Welcome back to It Could Happen Here. I'm Andrew Siege, and you can find my stuff on my YouTube channel, Andrewism. I'm joined once again by James. Uh, getting no less awkward as we go. Uh, but hi, Andrew. I'm <laughs> excited to learn about uh, what we're going to learn about today. Yes, we're picking up where we left off by tackling the Luddites of today. In our previous episode, we unraveled the story of the Luddites, who stood against the encroaching forces of the Industrial Revolution, and more specifically, the abuses of workers by profit-seeking capitalists. They were challenging the worldview of laissez-faire capitalism, with its increasing amalgamation of power, resources, and wealth, rationalized by its emphasis on progress. Today, it seems history has a way of repeating itself as we face a similar struggle against technological changes that come about to the detriment of workers, as some tech is being used by tech companies in various industries to drive down wages and worsen conditions for common workers. Take, for example, technological unemployment. The Luddites, who once resisted the encroachment of machines, would find their concerns reflected in our modern world, as our technological advancements often come at the cost of those whose jobs can be automated away. For instance, in the manufacturing industry, robots and automated assembly lines have streamlined production leading to increased efficiency and lower costs for companies. But these efficiencies often meant the displacement of human workers. And such as in manufacturing, the ripple effects extend to various sectors like customer service, transportation, and data analysis. And so there's this fear of job displacement looms large. 
However, technological unemployment, which is the belief that as technology advances, human jobs are at risk, potentially leading to widespread unemployment, has been described by some economists as a fallacy. Back in the early days of the Industrial Revolution, when the advent of mechanization began transforming various industries, and with workers fearing automation would render them jobless and devalue their labor, the people took a stand. But as time passed, new industries and job opportunities emerged to replace some of the old ones, ultimately absorbing that workforce. Fast forward to the 20th century, and the rise of computers and automation technology reignited concerns about technological unemployment. But again, new jobs were created in new industries. Today, the debate continues as artificial intelligence, robotics, and automation advance at an unprecedented pace. And it remains to be seen what the long-term consequences of those technologies may be. My position has really always been that we should be working less anyway, but instead people are obsessed with creating new jobs even when they're unnecessary. See, you know, of course, David Graeber's bullshit jobs. Yeah. But... You know, even if the idea of mass unemployment due to tech is not true, if we end up replacing the jobs that are erased with new jobs, whatever the case may be, tech is nevertheless quite capable of destroying livelihoods, creating unintended consequences, and further concentrating power in the hands of fewer and fewer people. For every tech advancement that makes a job more fulfilling and enjoyable, there are also those who make it more tedious and grinding. I mean, yes, tech can free us from certain tasks. You know, accountants have digital spreadsheets that make their lives much easier, for example. Writing is way easier now that the personal computer is is more common. But while technological progress can produce prosperity, there's really no guarantee that the prosperity will reach the workers. In most cases under capitalism, it very clearly doesn't. In fact, many of the benefits of the Industrial Revolution were really not felt by the workers until decades later. Yes. After many of them had been, you know, crushed or poisoned or killed or, you know, died in a factory fire or whatever, shot down when protesting. You know, like they didn't see the benefits until much later on. You know, it's not like, like, you know, these things introduced and boom, everybody benefits. I mean, even now, not everybody in the world is benefiting from, you know, the computer age. There are still many people, like for example, in the Congo, who are enduring slavery and slave-like conditions in order to, you know, procure the materials necessary for the computer age. Totally. And yet, they're not seeing those benefits. And it remains to be seen when they'll see the benefits that many of us enjoy in various parts of the world, and particularly that those enjoy in the global north. Yeah, In our relentless pursuit of progress and technological advancement as defined by capitalism, we also end up losing our nature, our community, and in many cases, our craftsmanship. I mean, remember John Booth, the one who had said, can you keep a secret? Oh, so can I. Uh, His other words, you know, that the new machinery might be man's chief blessing instead of his curse if society were differently constituted. That's where I have to bring in the one and only, the Ellis. I've spoken about him before, of course. The Austrian philosopher, the theologian, the sort of everything guy, Ivan Illich. Oh yeah, fun times. Fun times, yeah. He was a thinker ahead of his time. Yeah. Um, you know, it's really strange in some of his positions, I think. Um, 
but a lot of his concepts resonate today uh, yeah. in various movements. In fact, one of the foundational uh, concepts in the modern movement of degrowth is the concept of conviviality, which was redefined and introduced in the context of our tools in Illich's book, Tools for Conviviality. Illich's vision, as explored by the book, is one in which technology serves humanity, not supplants it, where convivial tools empower individuals and communities, fostering creativity and autonomy while preventing the concentration of power in the hands of the few. According to Illich, conviviality is individual freedom realized in personal interdependence. It's basically the ability of individuals to interact and to interact creatively and autonomously with others and the environment to satisfy their individual and collective needs. Convivial tools are those which are robust and durable, preserve or enhance ecosystems, level unequal power relationships, and give each person who uses them the greatest opportunity to enrich the environment with the fruits of their vision. And a convivial society is one in which tools, which according to Illich includes physical hardware, productive institutions, and productive systems, so tools would be factories, hospitals, uh, schools, uh, farms, all of those things are being included in his definition of tools. And a convivial society is one in which those tools operate on the human scale and serve the people instead of rulers. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If you don't win your first bet. That's right, up to $1,500. Again, sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus in President Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. That's 1-800-GAMBLER. Bean Dad, The Dress, 30 to 50 Feral Hogs. If you knew what any of those were, you spend too much time online. And hey, I do too. 16th Minute of Fame is a new weekly podcast hosted by me, Jamie Loftus, where every week I take a closer look at an internet character of the day. Who were they? What made them so notorious? Why did the internet choose them? And what does a person do when they're suddenly confronted with more attention than the human psyche can handle? I'll be talking to internet historians, experts, and yes, the main characters themselves to get a fuller picture. Because I think that even outside individual experiences, a character of the day tells us something about how the internet worked at that time and how the attention economy developed into the freaky three-headed dragon it is today. Together, we probably won't be able to properly log out, but we can take a walk down scary internet memory lane and see one day a little more clearly. Listen to 16th Minute of Fame on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hello! 
acclaimed comics writer and notorious Scott Summers hater, Rosie Knight. Well, hello, Emmy-winning podcaster and totally unbiased Targaryen royal supporter, Jason Concepcion. Rosie, somehow the X-Ray Vision podcast has returned. It feels so good. It does. And like always, we'll be here every week covering the wide world of TV, movies, comics, and geek culture. That's right. We'll be talking about Batman, heroes of that stature, and of course, we'll be inviting our friends in the industry to come geek out with us and share stories. We'll hear from TV writers, from actors, comics creators, pop culture critics, and more. Nothing is off the table, because geek culture is pop culture, and we can't wait to share our love of it all with you every single week. Listen to X-Ray Vision on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The idea of convivial tools really challenges us to view technology as a means to enhance our lives rather than displace our livelihoods. It's a call to harness innovation for the betterment of society instead of the perpetuation of radical monopolies, which I spoke about in a previous It Could Happen Here episode. I think a Luddite like John Booth would have certainly appreciated that message. Yeah. And to the rights of today, certainly do. Because, yeah, I'm not the first nor the only person to see lessons to be learned from the Luddite movement. The concept of a neo-Luddite movement has been embraced by a variety of folks who may or may not understand what the original Luddite movement was about. (laughs) Like, you know, you have these primitivists who embrace the neo-Luddite cause because they think it means hate and technology. And you have the anarchists and the trade unionists and the environmentalists who are looking more at the labor organizing roots of the original Luddite movement. Yeah. And of course, you even see echoes of, you know, OG Luddite action in the vandalism against self-driving cars. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The neo-Luddite movement is composed of activists, workers, scholars, and social critics who stand against the predominant worldview that unbridled technology represents progress, pointing scathing critiques, and in some cases, actual action against technologies and tech companies that desecrate our planet and our society. Philosopher Lewis Mumford, who had written The Myth of the Machine, Pentagon of Power, reminds us that technology encompasses more than just physical objects. It also includes the techniques of operation and the social organizations that make a particular technology work. Technology reflects a worldview. The forms of technology we embrace, whether they be machines, techniques, or social structures, are deeply rooted in our perception of life, death, human potential, and the relationships between humans and nature. Our choice of technology, in many ways, mirrors our outlook on the world. That outlook in the modern world is shaped by a rather mechanistic approach to life, characterized by rational thinking, efficiency, utilitarianism, scientific detachment, and a belief in humanity's ownership and supremacy over nature. That's how you end up getting texts like the military-industrial complex and the urban sprawl. Honestly, in a sense, the old Luddites kind of had it easy not i mean obviously their conditions were horrible but when i say they had it easy i mean it's in the sense that their machines could be destroyed by their sledgehammers right yeah yeah. all the technology is a lot more ephemeral you know yeah it's like it's in the cloud yeah it's as it's as nebulous as microplastics in the soil the water and the breast milk i mean it's everywhere and it's integrated into everything it's like where do you even begin yeah wow 
in the book When Technology Wounds by psychologist Chelish Glendening, by psychologist Chelish Glendening, she studied technology survivors. People who had suffered injury or illness in recent years after being exposed to various toxic technologies in their homes and workplaces, whether nuclear radiation, pesticides, asbestos, birth control devices, or drugs, and covered how they had begun to question not only the processes that maimed them, but the world that indifferently forced those processes on them under the guise of progress. Glendening saw these victims as the basis of a new Luddite movement, struggling against what has been called the Second Industrial, what has been called the Second Industrial Revolution, alongside thinkers like Lewis Mumford and Ivan Illich. Those survivors have gone on to create groups such as Asbestos Victims of America, Aspartame Victims and Their Friends, Citizens Against Pesticide Misuse, Dalkin Shield Information Network, DES Action International. National Association of Atomic Veterans, National Committee for Victims of Human Research, National Toxics Campaign, and the VDT Coalition. All of these, of course, are based in the U.S. And there are also activist groups like Earth First that could be could have been classified under the Neolithic cause. And Earth First's strategy was to stop environmental intrusions by any means available, legal and otherwise. So they would be slashing engines, slashing tires, disabling engines, blocking roads... Uh, most famously, they would drill spikes into trees in wilderness forests to prevent them from being logged by chainsaws. Yeah. But, you know, while all these movements and organizations are happening in the Western world, it really wasn't just the Western world where this is happening. A positive undercurrent of the Luddite spirit has surged where indigenous peoples have led the charges against the incursions of industrialism. Communities not merely resisting the machines and projects of industrialization, but also pushing back against its cultural impact. Peasants and farmers staunchly rejecting participation in the various development initiatives imposed upon them by compliant governments, often under, the influ- often under the influence of entities like the World Bank or the U.S. State Department. For example, during the early 1980s, some farmers in Mali took a stand against the construction of dams and dikes for a rice-growing program that they wanted no part of. Other communities elsewhere have rallied to hold dam projects that threatened to submerge their ancestral lands, and some have been successful, as seen with the villagers who protested the Narmada Dam in India in the early 1990s, and others have faced you know, more daunting challenges, like the people of eastern Java who protested against the Nipah Irrigation Dam and faced deadly consequences at the hands of Indonesian security forces in 1993. Yeah. Indigenous tribes have also organized to combat deforestation and road-building projects that encroach upon their territories. The Chipko tree-hugging movement in India during the 1970s and 80s famously succeeded in stopping government clear-cutting efforts. And similar projects have echoed across the globe, from Malaysia to Australia, Brazil to Costa Rica, Solomon Islands, Indonesia, and beyond. Traditional fishermen in many regions, such as the Indian subcontinent, Malaysia, Indonesia, and multiple ports along the Pacific coast of South America, including Ecuador and Colombia, have also taken action against industrial fishing fleets encroaching on their waters and jeopardizing their livelihoods. In some cases, these protests may not have involved the destruction of machinery, but sabotage, you know, is not unheard of, like in the case of a high-tech chemical plant in Thailand in 1986. The driving force of the, behind these actions really mirrors the Luddite ethos, you know, as they share this fervent desire to preserve the traditional ways of life and livelihood 
in the face of industrial capitalism's relentless pull towards a wage and market system. And then, of course, outside these movers and shakers, these underground activists, there are also, you know, the philosophical Luddites, like the aforementioned Illich. The neo-Luddite spectrum is more diverse and intriguing than one might imagine. While it may not have crystallized into a more formal movement with clear representatives, as is expected of movements these days, it unites a wide array of individuals who share a common awakening from the allure of unchecked technology and resist various aspects of the industrial monoculture. Perhaps if the connections between these separate groups strengthen, we'd see a greater recognition of the interconnected challenges in this you know, grand tapestry of our evolving world. But the thing is, to address the challenges posed by these technologies, it's not enough to merely regulate or eliminate individual items like pesticides or nuclear weapons. What's required is a profound shift in our thinking about humanity and in our relationship to life itself. We need to craft, you know, a new worldview that paves the way for a different way of interacting with our world, our technologies, and our fellow human beings. We need to reconsider our place in the grand scheme of things and to imagine a world where harmony and balance take precedence over domination and control. In Notes Toward a Neolite Manifesto, written in 1990, also by Charles Glendening, the author outlines three core principles and four prescriptions that could drive the Neolite movement. In terms of principles, firstly, and I suppose most essentially to addressing the misconception, New Luddites are not anti-technology. As she says, technology is intrinsic to human creativity and culture, but what they oppose are the kinds of technologies that are at root destructive of human lives and communities. The next principle, too, is that all technologies are political. Quote, a social critic, Jerry Mander, writes in Four Arguments for the Elimination of Television, a book I read some years ago, by the way, that I've been meaning to revisit, but continuing the quote, technologies are not neutral tools that can be used for good or evil depending on who uses them. They are entities that have been consciously structured to reflect and serve specific powerful interests in specific historical situations. The technologies created by mass technological society are those that serve the perpetuation of mass technological society. They tend to be structured for short-term efficiency, ease of production, distribution, marketing, and profit potential, or for war-making. And as a result, they tend to create rigid social systems and institutions that people do not understand and cannot change or control. The last principle, three, is that the personal view of technology is dangerously limited. Glendening argues that the often heard message, but I couldn't live without my word processor, because uh, of course she's writing this, you know, <laughs> years and years ago. <laughs> yeah, 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 I'm a word, I'm my automatic typewriter. Yeah. <laughs> but oh, this often heard message that I couldn't live without my word processor, and I guess you could substitute that for smartphone or computer. Yeah. Um, that message denies the wider consequences of widespread use of computers. For example, the toxic contamination of workers in electronic plants, or the solidifying of corporate power through exclusive access to new information and databases. As Manda points out, Producers and disseminators of technologies tend to introduce their creations in upbeat, utopian terms. You know, pesticides will increase yields to feed a hungry planet. Nuclear energy will be too deep to, too, too cheap to meter, etc. And of course, you know, you have to throw in that um, 
that uh, potshot had nuclear energy. It's very, <laughs> um, very 20th century coded text. Yeah. Um, however, quote, learning to critique technology demands fully examining its sociological context, economic ramifications, and political meanings. It involves asking not just what is gained, but what is lost and by whom. It involves looking at the introduction of technologies from the perspective not only of human use, but of their impact on other living beings, natural systems, and the environment. And then there's the Neolithic program, which loses me a bit at some points, even where I may agree with some of their principles. And, you know, you might say that's a sign of my propagandized mind in our <laughs> technological society, but I'll, I'll leave you to be the judge of that. Here's what Glendening explicitly proposes. One, as a move toward dealing with the consequences of modern technologies and preventing further destruction of life, the new Luddite movement should favor the dismantling of nuclear technologies, chemical technologies, genetic engineering technologies, television, electromagnetic technologies, and computer technologies. Which, according to them, you know, according to her, cause disease and death, uh, create dangerous mutagens, uh, in the case of television, functions as a centralized mind-controlling force, uh, poisons the environment, all these different things. And I mean, I get some of the justifications for some of these technologies, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. A lot of them cause disease, death, you know, pollution... Uh, a lot of social issues. Right, yeah. But I, at the same time, I don't believe in throwing out entire sciences and technologies wholesale <laughs> like that. You know, it feels like, it feels like a very myopic view being presented on some of these texts. Yeah, I mean, I guess this was before really the decentralization of some of the means of, of dissemination of information that, that happened kind of later on with things like some parts of the internet. I don't want to say by any means that the internet is decentralized, but... Uh, at least the promise of that, which we occasionally see deliver as well, right? Like, um, I don't know if you saw today, but I was just watching a video of the uh, the Yepege in Syria, the, the people in Rojava, uh, like talking about the importance of women in the revolution in Myanmar. And like, just occasionally, the internet or technology gives us the thing that it was supposed to give us, like this ability to connect without barriers. Absolutely. But yeah, like you say, that that's, the computer or the cell phone that that was recorded on or whatever happened because somebody uh, somebody in the Congo in, in horrific conditions and the DRC had to dig out some rare earth chemical and then got paid next to nothing and, and uh, the, their ancestral homeland was ruined by some rabid company that makes billions of dollars and pays people like shit. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, I absolutely agree that the supply side of a lot of these technologies need to change drastically. Yeah. Yeah, and also the you know just the supply chain as a whole, you know from the raw materials to the finished products and how it gets to us. Um, I mean that might mean no more of certain technologies, or it might mean a different approach. Yeah. But it really remains to be seen. We really haven't tried other approaches because you know we live under this capitalist hegemony. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with a king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If 
if you don't win your first bet. That's right, up to $1,500. Again, sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus in President, Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. That's 1-800-GAMBLER. Bean Dad, The Dress, 30 to 50 Feral Hogs. If you knew what any of those were, you spend too much time online. And hey, I do too. 16th Minute of Fame is a new weekly podcast hosted by me, Jamie Loftus, where every week I take a closer look at an internet character of the day. Who were they? What made them so notorious? Why did the internet choose them? And what does a person do when they're suddenly confronted with more attention than the human psyche can handle? I'll be talking to internet historians, experts, and yes, the main characters themselves to get a fuller picture. Because I think that even outside individual experiences, a character of the day tells us something about how the internet worked at that time and how the attention economy developed into the freaky three-headed dragon it is today. Together, we probably won't be able to properly log out, but we can take a walk down scary internet memory lane and see one day a little more clearly. Listen to 16th Minute of Fame on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hello, acclaimed comics writer and notorious Scott Summers hater, Rosie Knight. Well, hello, Emmy-winning podcaster and totally unbiased Targaryen royal supporter, Jason Concepcion. Rosie, somehow the X-Ray Vision podcast has returned. It feels so good. It does. And like always, we'll be here every week covering the wide world of TV, movies, comics, and geek culture. That's right. We'll be talking about Batman, heroes of that stature. And of course, we'll be inviting our friends in the industry to come geek out with us and share stories. We'll hear from TV writers, from actors, comics creators, pop culture critics, and more. Nothing is off the table because geek culture is pop culture. And we can't wait to share our love of it all with you every single week. Listen to X-Ray Vision on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The next step in the program, two, the new Luddite movement should favor a search for new technological forms and the creation of technologies by the people directly involved in their use, not by scientists, engineers, and, and entrepreneurs, who gain financially from mass production and distribution of their inventions and who know little about the context in which their technologies are used. Um, I don't necessarily believe in, you know, splitting it down the middle like that as if, you know, scientists and engineers are not going to be the people that are directly involved in their use. I mean, in some cases that's true. Yeah. But in other cases, you know, you know, people who are using the products, sometimes the people who invented it. Yeah. Iterated on it or whatnot. Like when I think about, um, before they were 3D printing weapons in the, in the revolution in Myanmar, they were 3D printing prostheses because landmines are so common there. Um, right. And so, like, for those people, right, the engineer is the person whose brother or sister or non-binary sibling or what, what have you needs a leg. And so they have iterated or designed a leg. And like that person is very much both, like, benefiting from the end use and doing the engineering. Exactly. I, I get this as kind of like, you know, a screed against the ivory tower types, but yes. I don't think yeah. that reflects on, you know, all of the, or even most of the scientists and engineers. Mm-hmm. 
yeah. a, lot of, a lot of engineers on the ground, a lot of, um, you know, barefoot scientists, uh, as the expression is. Yeah, yeah. Like when we talk about things like permaculture or the things we talked about before, like some of that is a science too, right? We have a, a thesis and we test it and we prove it and, and then we keep iterating on it. Like it, it's a hypothesis, I should say. Like, and that's certainly a science which is rooted in in a place and people and respect for the environment. Yeah. And so, I mean, the, the, the manifesto goes a little bit further on this particular point, you know, She's advocating for the creation of technologies that are of a scale and structure that make them understandable to the people who use them and are affected by them. She's advocating for the creation of technologies built with a high degree of flexibility so they do not impose a rigid and irreversible imprint on their users. And she's advocating for the creation of technologies that foster independence from technological addiction and promise political freedom, economic justice, and ecological balance. There, I I can't disagree, you know? Yeah, no, I'm, I'm, I'm down with that. I'm absolutely down with, with advocating for that. Yeah. Uh, the third point in the program, uh, she says, we favor the creation of technologies in which politics, morality, ecology, and techniques are merged for the benefits of life on Earth. For example, community-based energy sources utilizing solar, wind, and water technologies, organic biological technologies in agriculture, engineering, architecture, art, medicine, transportation, and defense. Conflict resolution technologies, which emphasize cooperation, understanding, and continuity of relationship. And decentralized social technologies, which encourage participation, responsibility, and empowerment. Now, you know, I'm the solar punk guy. I'm the, you know, the anarchist on YouTube, whatever. So you you got me on these. (laughs) You know, I I agree with all of these, obviously. But what I find interesting is that this list seems to ignore how, you know, the technologies being advocated here are linked to the previous technologies that were just being decried. Yeah. You know, like in, in one section, she's talking about, oh, you're not a fan of these chemical technologies, but chemistry is an inevitable component of the biological technologies that you're advocating for. Or you're saying that you don't like computer technologies. Um but when you're talking about like solar, wind, and water energy, which to be fair can be low tech too, yeah, there is usually some involvement of a computer in those energy systems. So I think there's yeah. you know slight uh, inconsistency there. But I don't know. What do you think? Yeah, I think yeah, like we can't sort of uh, yeah yeah we sometimes we can't say that. To, like you say, to a degree, all of these systems require a technology. And like, I suppose we, we start to get into like, what is a technology, right? And before we go too far. Um, and, and I think that's probably a, a question worth asking. But uh, yeah, I think we it, it's easy to throw the baby out of the bathwater, I suppose. Yeah. I mean, like, um, like Mumford had said, technology is more than just physical objects. It's also techniques of operation and yeah. social organizations. Um, that reflect a worldview. Yeah. Yeah. So I suppose, as you said before, right, like it's what I think about often. It's like it, we, what we need to change is the way we see the world uh, and then the other stuff will, yeah. will, we Everything can change in a meaningful way. It will fall into place. Yeah. Um, I think, uh, again, I'm going to go back. So I was just in, in Rojava for the last few weeks, but um, 
And one of the things that I heard from everyone there, right, from like, and not just from like people in the women's movement, but also from like random guy in the market who I'm having tea with, uh, uh, is like that this idea that we can't um, can't decolonize a country until we decolonize our family, and the notion that like women were the first colonized group of people, um, yeah. which and that, so like if we can't do gender equality, what you know, what, what are we doing? Like, well, we can't. Why? Why are we fighting this revolution to to liberate our country when we can't liberate, uh, you know, our spouse, our daughter, or what have you? So, um, definitely, I think, yeah. It's just it's a very powerful. I know it's not like as fun as uh, taking a sledgehammer to a cotton mill, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> like, uh, if if we if we replicate that kind of extractive. Like extractive capitalism is, is what makes the supply side of these things so bad. And it's what also leads us to think about using them in a way that can extract the most value from the worker. Um, yeah. And so I would absolutely say that, uh, you know, the you break the frame in your mind. I don't know. <laughs> That's a good point. Yeah. I, you know, it's, it's funny, as you mentioned, you know, it's going um, to be as fun as, you know, smashing a cotton uh, a cotton mill or whatever. Yeah. It, it made me think that, you know, perhaps in a, in a revolutionary society, in you know, a society, you may see um, therapeutic rage rooms where people can, you know, <laughs> smash out some of their last frustrations against the capitalist system yeah. and the consequences they've left for them to fix. <laughs> yeah, yeah, to get that out before you uh, you take that out on other before people. Before you go and rewild or something, you know, you have to get yeah. get that energy out first. <laughs> yeah, 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 remove the toxicity. I like that. I think that is a place where you can uh, yeah, t- take that anger out. Right, so finally, uh, the fourth and final uh, element of the program. Uh, she says that we favor the development of a life-enhancing worldview in Western technological societies. We hope to instill a perception of life, death, and human potential in technological societies that will integrate the human need for creative expression, spiritual experience, and community with the capacity for rational thought and functionality. We perceive the human role not as the dominator of other species in planetary biology, but as integrated into the natural world with appreciation for the sacredness of all life. We foresee a sustainable future for humanity if and when Western technological societies restructure their mechanistic projections and foster the creation of machines, techniques, and social organizations that respect both human dignity and the nature's wholeness. In progressing towards such a, such a transition, we are aware that we have nothing to lose except a way of living that leads to the destruction of all life. We have a world to gain. End quote. Word. Oh, that was... Uh... That was a nice, uh, a nice, a nice, very rhetorical flair at the end. Like, yeah, yeah, that's a bar. <laughs> yeah, you can get. Yeah. Behind so, I mean, that. In, in, in my opinion, coming to a close here, yeah. uh, the new lights are hits and a miss. Um, they they hit a lot more than they miss. There's certain yeah. things I have some slight quibbles with, um, and I really, of course, I have to give them credit for doing a lot more to investigate and confront technology than the vast majority of people. I mean, they're asking mm-hmm. the right questions. Yes. Questions that you, you don't see being asked at all. You know, you, see, you get these announcements for new technologies, new innovations, new techniques, new whatever. And it's always just like, you know, marketing and advertising and then it's just implemented. There's no say of people. There's no raising questions about what might the consequences of this be 10 years on the line, 20 years on the line, 50 years on the line, 100 years on the line, you know? Yeah. yeah. And the lessons of Luddism are very clear. 
technology should serve humanity, not the other way around. Yeah, I think that's that, that's a key take home. Like, yeah, it, it's it's there to make our lives better. We don't have to not to allow us Lands- to be more exploited. Yeah. Landscape is vast and it's constantly evolving, but the principles, the lights, and the vision of convivial tools, I think they can offer us some guidance. And I hope you're able to take that away from this two-parter. Yeah. And that's all I have for today. Great, you thank you. Follow me on YouTube, Andrewism, support on Patreon, slash St. Drew. Um, thanks, James, for being part of this. Ah, thank you. That was good. I enjoyed that. This has been It Could Happen Here. Peace. It Could Happen Here is a production of Cool Zone Media. For more podcasts from Cool Zone Media, visit our website, coolzonemedia.com, or check us out on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to podcasts. You can find sources for It Could Happen Here updated monthly at coolzonemedia.com slash sources. Thanks for listening. Bean Dad, The Dress, 30 to 50 Feral Hogs. If you knew what any of those were, you spend too much time online. And hey, I do too. 16th Minute of Fame is a new weekly podcast hosted by me, Jamie Loftus. And every week we take a closer look at an internet character of the day. Who are they? What made them so notorious? How did the internet or the algorithm choose them? And what does a person do when they're suddenly confronted with more attention than the human psyche can handle? Listen to 16th Minute of Fame on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hello, acclaimed comics writer and notorious Scott Summers hater, Rosie Knight. Well, hello, Emmy-winning podcaster and totally unbiased Targaryen royal supporter, Jason Concepcion. Somehow the X-Ray Vision podcast has returned. And like always, we'll be here every week. You'll hear from TV writers, actors, comics creators, pop culture critics. Nothing is off the table. Listen to X-Ray Vision on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Danielle Moody here, host of the Woke AF Daily podcast. We've been with iHeart for a year, and what a year it has been. As we head deeper into 2024 and yet another life-changing election cycle, Woke AF Daily is here to keep you sane and woke. Make Woke AF Daily your podcast destination for 2024 election news and analysis. Listen to Woke AF Daily Season 5 on the iHeart Radio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.